Take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10. And in this chapter, at least the first part of this chapter, Jesus talks about how discipleship, how following Him, affects family. And the big picture of the first half of Mark chapter 10 is this story. That sometimes the cost of following Jesus is too high for some people to accept. In verses 17 through 30 of Mark 10, we have the story of the rich young ruler who had family possessions that he was unwilling to give up. And you back up from there in verses 13 through 16, you deal with children. And what, what does discipleship have to do with children? How do children lead us in discipleship? What, how are they our example? And then we get, if you back up from there, the story that we're going to examine today. And it has to do with a subject that none of us really like to talk about much. But it's the subject of divorce and remarriage. How does following Jesus affect our view of divorce and remarriage? Now, divorce and remarriage, it's a difficult subject. It's a complicated subject because it is so deeply personal. Um, divorce, when you go through a divorce, there's a sense, many times, a sense of failure. There's definitely a sense of loss that goes on. Uh, indicators say that uh, one of the most stressful uh, things that can happen to you in your life is the death of a spouse. Right next to that, on a stress indicator level, is the divorce that someone may go through. And so it's a huge struggle. It's, it's a very difficult thing to go through. D today, divorce is so widespread that I really don't see the need in quoting a lot of statistics to you. Uh, there's people in this room who've been divorced. Some have been remarried. There are children, both young children and grown children, who have seen the tragic consequences of divorce firsthand. Uh, there's people like myself who have been uh, born as a result of a remarriage of two people after both had gone through a divorce. And so there's probably not anybody in this room that has been unaffected in one way or another by divorce. Uh, you, know, you have friends who've been divorced or perhaps you've gone through it. Uh, you've seen the effect of it. Now, some of the godliest people that I know have been divorced and have been remarried. And God's Word gives us some principles that should guide us both personally and should guide us collectively as a church with regard to divorce and remarriage. And from the outset, I want to make two messages very clear. And I believe there are two messages that the church must uh, communicate with regard to divorce and remarriage. Number one is this. God's Word upholds lifelong marriage as the ideal. Make no mistake about it, that is the ideal. That's how God created marriage. Marriage is a covenant of companionship between a male and a female for life. That is how God created marriage. And so we don't back down from that. We're going to uphold that standard. Second message is this. Believers that have experienced the pain of divorce and perhaps some the struggles of remarriage are as loved by God as anyone else. They are the recipients of God's grace, 
and they can serve the Lord joyfully. They are not second-class citizens in God's kingdom. They are not to be looked down upon, but they are the recipients of God's grace, just like all of us are. If we really want to level the playing field, we need to understand that when we stand at the foot of the cross, every last one of us are sinners, every last one of us have failed, every last one of us are in need of God's grace. And sometimes that grace is needed when someone goes through a divorce or is in a difficult remarriage situation. Sometimes that grace is needed in a first marriage. That grace is needed when people have never been married. And so we're all in need of God's grace. So let's understand that from the very outset. Today, we're going to answer a few questions about divorce and remarriage. And we're going to see exactly what Jesus had to say about it. And also, by the way, we'll look at what the Apostle Paul had to say about it. The reason we're going to look at what he had to say as well is because Jesus and Paul are the two people in the New Testament that spoke about divorce and remarriage more extensively than anyone else. And so let's take our Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read the entirety of verses 1 through 12. The Bible says that he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Verse 2. And Pharisees came up, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's the question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. So they're in privately with Jesus, have a private audience. And he said to them in verse 11, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So this is what Jesus said. And as we read these scriptures, there's a few things that I want you to keep in mind. Understand, number one, that in Jesus' day, with very few exceptions, only men could issue a divorce. Women didn't have that right. It was a very patriarchal society. And so that's why sometimes in scripture, in the New Testament, you'll read things, phrases like, a man who divorces his wife. And marries another. A man will give his wife a certificate of divorce. It was, it was the uh, option, if you will, of the man to institute a divorce. The women did not have that right, usually. A few examples, like Herodias, but she wasn't exactly a follower of God's law anyway. Um, so understand this, that, that Jesus and Paul are, are also addressing believers. They're addressing Christ followers. They're addressing those who want above all else to do the will of God. They're not addressing pagans. They're not addressing unbelievers. They're not addressing people that want to define marriage however and whenever they want to define it and change the parameters of marriage. They're not addressing those people. Jesus and Paul are addressing those of us who want to follow after Christ. And so that is our baseline that we want to be obedient to God in all things. And so, please understand that. It is people who say they submit to the lordship of Jesus 
Well, they are the ones who are expected to obey the Lord Jesus. And so we must uphold that high standard, even if the world tries to change what marriage is and, and distort what marriage is, pervert what marriage is, we need to uphold the standard of God. And so uh, unbelievers may misunderstand marriage, but we must understand it for what it is and understand divorce and remarriage for what Jesus said as well. So the question is this. Did Jesus allow for divorce? That's question number one. Did he allow for divorce? Let's again read Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. He answered them when they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He said, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed us to get a divorce. He allowed it. Are you greater than Moses is the implication. Now, how did Jesus respond? Jesus, they went back to Moses and they appealed to Moses and his allowance of divorce. Jesus said, you're going to go back to Moses, I'm going to go back to creation. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 5, all of which he quotes here in the next few verses. And I'm going to tell you what God originally intended. And I'm going to let you know that what Moses allowed, he allowed for the hardness of your heart. You see, God intended married people to stay together. It's that simple. He intended married people to stay together. Now, if in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, if a man insisted on divorce, he absolutely was not going to be married to his wife, then what did Moses allow? God's law, the Mosaic law, allowed, in fact, demanded that the man give the woman a certificate of divorce. Why? Because she needed some kind of proof that she was no longer married. She was no longer bound to his family. Why? Because she had no rights otherwise. In other words, God's allowance of divorce with the nation of Israel through Moses, it was intended to protect the woman's rights. It was never intended to allow something that goes against his original intent of a lifelong marriage. That is why Moses, Moses allowed a certificate of divorce to be given to who? To a hard-hearted man who wanted to get rid of his wife. God's law said, we're going to protect the woman. She at least gets to receive a certificate of divorce not binding her to that man anymore. So do you understand what's going on? Now, someone might raise the question of Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. I want you to take your Bible and turn back to that passage. And it's a similar passage. It's a parallel passage. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus again, let's look at verse 8. He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, and so in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, there's an exception. In other words, in Mark chapter 10, there's no exceptions. Jesus says, God does not want you to get a divorce. God allows it 
because of the hardness of hearts. If someone insists on it, uh, God will seek to protect the innocent party. But this is not God's intent. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, there's that exception clause, except for sexual immorality, except for adultery. So what's going on? Why, why does Matthew 19, 9 have the exception clause and Mark chapter 10 does not? It's because in both of these episodes, there were two different questions asked. What did the Pharisees originally ask in Mark chapter 10, verse 2? They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The answer is no. If you look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 19, the question's different. The question is, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? What's the difference? In Matthew, the question is, what grounds can a man get a divorce if his heart is so hard that he insists on it? The answer to that is adultery. But if the question is simple, simply this, is divorce God's plan? Is divorce sanctioned by God? The answer is no. That's not what God intended. What does the Apostle Paul say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to take your Bible there and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. This is what the Apostle Paul says. To the married, I give this charge. And he makes it clear. He says, not I, but the Lord. In other words, Paul's simply going to repeat what Jesus said. So in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. Verse 11, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And so the Apostle Paul understands the simplicity of it all. And he says, if you're married, you need to stay married. If you're separated, if a wife is separated back then, again, there's a, the, the wife did not usually have the authority to divorce, but she could sort of run away. If a wife was separated, she should either remain unmarried or go back and be reconciled to her husband. So, simply put, two believers who are joined together by God should not divorce. So here's the essence of what Jesus taught, big picture. In creation, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, in creation, God made two distinct and complementary sexes, male and female. He brought the two sexes together. In marriage. Next principle. No third party is allowed into that relationship. Anyone who seeks to divide a marriage that God brought together not only attacks the marriage, not only attacks the two persons united in it, but attacks God himself. Now, Jesus recognizes the reality that divorce happens. The tragedy that people don't always follow God's plan. And if a couple that's joined together by God do divorce, Jesus says that they should not remarry anyone else because to do so would be adultery. So let's talk a little bit more about remarriage, what remarriage really is, and how it might 
affect someone's life or really how your, your following Christ affects the possibility of remarriage. First of all, let me say this. Jesus recognizes, again, the reality of divorce. So does Paul. Divorce happens. Sometimes the relationship in a marriage becomes abusive. It becomes dangerous. Sometimes an unbelieving spouse leaves. Paul specifically addresses that. If two people get married and one of them gets saved and the other one says, you know, I don't like this, you following Jesus stuff, and they decide to leave, Paul says, let them leave. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes a spouse will commit adultery and will not repent of that. Um, that can destroy a marriage, obviously. And sometimes, uh, sometimes, simply put, the other spouse destroys the marriage. Sometimes there is an innocent party who, should, who if it was his or her choice, would remain married to this day. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And so Jesus recognizes that reality. So does the Apostle Paul. The truth is, any one of us who are married in this room today can become divorced and have little choice in the matter. It only takes one person to destroy marriage. But to be remarried involves a choice on your part. The question is, did Jesus or Paul allow remarriage after divorce. Did they say that God sanctions a remarriage after divorce? Now, many evangelicals uh, will say yes. God allows remarriage after divorce. Jesus and Paul simply assumed it. You know, if you get a divorce, you know, it's just assumed that you can remarry. Um, but let's see what Jesus and Paul actually say. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to read a number of verses. Verse 12. Let's see if the Apostle Paul addresses this. Verse 12, he says, to the rest I say, not I, but the Lord. He says, this is coming from the Lord, Jesus. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Verse 13. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Okay, so if you happen to be in a, in a situation where you're the believing spouse and you have an unbelieving spouse that you're married to, and they say, I want to stay married, do so. Do so. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God called you to peace. So if you happen to be married to an unbelieving spouse, and they leave, it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful, it's going to be tragic, but let them go. It's okay. Down to verses 39 and 40. Paul sums up the entire chapter, and he says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Paul does not specifically address the potential of remarriage after divorce. What about Jesus? Does he address it? Again, in Mark chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, the disciples asked him again about the matter, and he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Now, this, let me tell you why this is significant. There's a phrase in there that you'd probably skip over, um, and it's the phrase against her. And this would be shocking to the disciples. Why? Because 
in that day it was such a patriarchal society that if a man committed adultery with another man's wife, that that man sinned against the other man. You took my property, essentially. Jesus says, based on the fact that marriage is not simply a man taking possession of a wife, but it is a man leaving his father and mother, and two people made in the image of God coming together and becoming one flesh, that if a man commits adultery against his wife, he commits adultery against her. He's committed adultery against his wife. There's value to the woman herself. So, again, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. A parallel passage, again, is found in Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There's a new slant on things. If you marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery. Now, the one flesh union, that a marriage that is sanctioned by God, that one flesh union that is created, apparently according to Jesus, stays into effect, even after a divorce occurs. And that's why the second marriage is seen as an act of adultery. Now, this is a hard teaching. It's a difficult teaching. It's an unpleasant teaching uh, for many of us, myself included, because both of my parents uh, were married before they married each other and had me. Nevertheless, What you and I need to understand is that wherever we are in life, we need to be as godly as we can be. We need to understand God's grace is greater than our sin or anyone else's sin, and that we can follow the the Lord with all of our hearts. If you go back and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's a principle that Paul talks about extensively, and it's the principle of remaining as you were called. You'll find that phrase, remain as you were called. And what does Paul say? He says, if you were a slave when you were called, in other words, when we would say when you were saved, if you were a slave when you were saved, Paul says, remain a slave. I mean, if, if you get a chance to get your freedom, that's fine. But don't worry about such things. Remain a slave. Why? Because God's kingdom needs godly slaves. And if you were single when you got saved, Paul says, remain in that condition. If you were married when you got saved, remain in that condition. And the principle for us, I think, to the best that you can fulfill it, is that if you're ready to follow Christ and the radical teaching that he presents to us, if you've not yet been married, Consider remaining single to serve the Lord. Paul makes it clear that when you get married, you get all kinds of problems that come with it. All kinds of worries that come with it. Um, All kinds of uh, troubles. Even in a great, healthy marriage, something wrong happens to your spouse, it hurts you. 
You've got concerns for your spouse. You've got concerns for your family when that happens. So consider the possibility that maybe the Lord would have you remain single. But if you decide to marry, please only marry a spirit-filled believer. Save yourself from the tragedy that can occur by marrying someone that is away from the Lord or even potentially not even saved. Now, if you are married, the clear word of God says, stay that way. Stay that way. If you have an unbelieving spouse who wants to leave, that's okay. Let them go. But stay that way. Scripture teaches if you are divorced, stay single. Um, Neither Jesus nor Paul specifically sanctioned marriage. Yeah, there's a lot of silence on the issue. And you could take the position that many evangelicals, probably most evangelicals do, with regard to if Jesus and Paul were silent on it, perhaps it's okay. And, uh, and, so, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a valid position, if you want to take that position. Uh, my understanding is that if Jesus and Paul wanted to sanction marriage after a divorce, they had the ability. Both were very intelligent people. And they could have done so. And Scripture could have said so. Uh, but specifically, Paul doesn't say anything, and Jesus says that a remarriage is a, com- a commission of adultery. And if you are remarried after a divorce, what I would say to you is honor the Lord and honor His commitment to you by being committed to Him. Honor the Lord with your life. Honor the Lord by maintaining your commitments, by living a godly life. Because His grace is sufficient for you.